know, there's a lot more punks than there was four years earlier, but there was also as many posers. Posers were people that looked like punks, but they did it for fashion. Welcome to SLC Punks, a Utah jazz podcast brought to you by the staff of SLC Dunk. Now here's your hosts, Michael Lohman and James Hansen. All right, welcome back to the SLC Punks podcast. This is your host, Hanson James. And this is Milo. And it's been a, it's been a little bit, Milo, a couple of weeks, but we're now post yeah. USA basketball, post, uh, and now pre-training camp is, I think, two weeks away? Jazz yeah, basketball is creeping away. up. We are it way is. close. We're getting workout videos of Boyan Bogdanovich in a Bane mask. We're getting Dante Exum. <laughs> Showing us what he's what he's doing, and Dante Exum looks huge. We're getting uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert coming off of strong FIBA tournaments, and that's what we want to start talking about today. Is just the end of FIBA. It was a disappointing end for the USA team with them not meddling at all and falling to eighth or ninth. Um, I think they ended seventh at the end. I think. Yeah. Let's see here. Let's just I do a confirmation. Beat, I think they beat Poland, and that, and that's how they ended seventh. I think I read. Um, but we also. Yeah. It doesn't even matter at that point. I don't know why it's they, they, It's so weird that they have like a play, like one game elimination, and then it's. You play for a consolation bracket over and over, so you can play for seventh or eighth or ninth or tenth or eleventh or twelfth. It just—it's weird. <laughs> it kind of feels like insult to injury. Like it feels we hollow. Just... It really is. It's just like we have all these participation trophies. We spent a lot of time on them. You know, so... it's funny. Actually, that's a question. Are, is it better to just not medal at all, or go up there and? And and smile for the bronze medal. Like, is that almost worse? Like, I, I it depends on the team because France looked stoked uh, to get their bronze medals because that's a big step for their for their program. Mm-hmm. They're for the working US, hard like, for for the U.S. Yeah, like if you don't get gold, you failed. It doesn't matter what you get like everyone considers it failure which i don't agree with i think they did really well considering these were the guys that they sent exactly who they sent the younger players uh honestly in some ways this is in some ways i would say this has been one of my most enjoyable world cups to watch with team usa um obviously donovan was on the team so that's been a lot of fun but the games were always competitive and interesting when it's just LeBron, Kevin Durant, and and you know, and whoever else like the top five players in the league, just uh, dominating everybody. James and going out, yeah, it's not the same. Quite and as interesting. I, I think there's another thing about this whole tournament that is highlighting because I know a lot of people are wanting to trash Team USA, and if you're a Utah Jazz fan, you're watching this. This is the first time watching FIBA ball, um, and you're used to. The Olympic teams really dominating this. The whole idea that the Olympic teams just go out there and throttle 
good international teams is a fallacy. That hasn't happened since what, 2008? 2008, and it took them quite a bit to beat a very strong Spain team at that time. And Spain even challenged a team that had peak Kobe, LeBron, Dwayne Wade. It took a big fourth quarter from Dwayne Wade in one of those games for them to to get over the hump against. Uh, oh yeah, there was. Uh, it was not a for sure thing at all in that game. It wasn't, and and Kobe, I like. Kobe coming a bit to the rescue of this team being like, the, the world has been catching up to us. There's no more going out there and just being able to take photographs, get to be the cool kids on, on campus, wherever the Olympics are at, and then get trashed the day, day, day before, go in hungover, throw down, uh, throw down 120 on some random Greece team and call it a day. It's not that way. The MVP of the M- NBA last year is from Greece. The defensive player of the year the last two years is from France. You have some of the biggest up-and-coming stars. Rookie of the year was Doncic from... Uh, was Doncic. And can't remember his country. From, from Serbia. Serbia. Not Serbia. Um, um, Latvia it, or something from, like that. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Lithuania? The, I don't know. Yeah. The case in point is that all these players are n- the best up and coming players. Few of them are from the United States, like the Australian team. The Australian team that beat Team USA, that's what Joe Ingles, Aaron Baines, and Patty Mills. Guess what? That team in the Olympics, when you're like, oh, well, you know, at least we're going to have LeBron and all this, that team is going to have Ben Simmons and Dante Exum joining them. And oh, yeah, there's another up and coming. 18-year-old phenom, Holden, that's going to be a god. So if you're thinking that, wow, you know, like, we just we just need to send our best, also remember that a lot of these teams still had their dropouts as well. Even though there was a, there's quite a bit of talent, they still had their dropouts as well. So it's going to be difficult. And the days of Team USA getting to just waltz in there for a win are long gone. With that said, how do you feel about the Utah Jazz's players' performances, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, whether it's Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert? And now that it's all said and done, what do you think? Uh, For me, I I don't know how a Jazz fan couldn't be just pretty ecstatic about everything. I mean, you saw Rudy Gobert at times looked like he looked like to me the best player in the world in that tournament when like if you watched Giannis with Greece and then you watched Rudy with France I mean I mean Rudy was just so dominant and his plus minus swing was I mean we talk a lot about Donovan Mitchell's plus minus swing Rudy's was out of this world and if you watched yeah France like he would get he would just dominate everybody go on the bench Every other team he played against would go on a run when he was on the bench. He'd come back in mm-hmm. uh, and lock it down, and they'd win. He was unreal, and he looked stronger. He looked better. He looked like his hands were you know, a little more deft. He made a few hook shots and things like that. Uh, just, It looks like he's just a little bit more polished, which is great to see. And um, I mean, he was already Agreed. the best defensive player in the world before, and now he looks even, you know, a notch better, maybe. Uh, he just looks incredible. Rudy's going to be... Uh, earning a max contract next year, and and you could see it this tournament. He's just so so good, and he's not your typical superstar that's scoring twenty six a game or whatever. He's 
he's doing it with 16 and 13 and just dominating on the defensive end. And then the thing that people don't realize with Rudy is, I mean, he was just opening up lanes for Fournier and, and Batum. Like those screens are so, so good. And obviously if Rudy was on Team USA, I think Team USA wins the tournament. I mean, hands down, not even close. He's, he's a top 10 player. And that's kind of what Team USA was missing as a top 10 guy. And, but anyways, Rudy was great. Uh, I guess the other guy that I was just so happy to see doing well was Joe Ingles. Looked, he looked rejuvenated. I wrote this in my downbeat a little bit ago, just kind of talked again about how, I mean, I just don't know if Joe Ingles knew if he loved basketball anymore last season. I think at a certain point, I think he was tr- questioning if, if it was worth it to just keep doing this when he had so many things going on with his family, with just the, the autism, but not just autism, but like his wife is in the netball thing and she's busy. You've got international travel going on. Yeah, They're both working professionals, like working professionals, but cross continents. And you're like mm-hmm. trying to figure out this thing with your kids and, and that's yeah. hard enough. But when you're, you know, different time zones, like when you can't even talk to your wife, cause she's asleep and you're, you know, it's just gotta be nuts. And so I'm sure like that had to be just really difficult. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the year, he, I think he looked wore down and it was probably as much physically as mentally because the jazz were just putting so much, uh, burden on his shoulders to carry the load with ball handling, scoring. He just was wore out. And I honestly, I remember calling you after the season's over and I was like, I, I'm like worried he's going to retire, man. Like, honestly, like if he, that's like something that I would not be surprised of. And so what was nice is to just see that Joe Ingles looked like he enjoyed playing basketball again. He didn't have to play for Team Australia, uh, but he did, and he looked amazing. He was a big part of upsetting Team USA, and uh, so you got to be ecstatic, ecstatic about Joe. He's going to come, you know, ready to go. Uh, and then finally, the Ingles. The, the oh, Ingles before you before you get to Donovan, I will say the Ingles got had an a phenomenal off season with. Um, their family getting all all set and, and straight. You had uh, the work they were doing in Australia for um, for their charity for autism picked up a ton of momentum, and uh, their son uh, said "Mommy and Daddy" for the first time. And Joe Ingles and his wife kissed on Australian national television for FIBA with his Pretty wife cool. interviewing him, like. <laughs> Dude, they've had a, a phenomenal offseason, and it's exciting. But you were saying about, about Donovan Mitchell. Oh, well, and I was just going to add just off of what you said there is like, you know, and maybe this sounds bad, but I think Renee is retiring again, which, you know, I'm happy that she is doing so well in netball. She's a pro. She's a star in Australia from everything I've read and heard. Uh, but that's going to help Joe, like having her kind of be that person that takes care of their kids and knowing that that's all taken care of and stuff that's going to help as you know maybe that sounds strange i don't know but that was a huge it's a huge sacrifice like that that is a really really big big sacrifice and and kudos to them and maybe she's going to be doing more uh she was doing some some sideline reporter so maybe she's gonna i don't know yeah, maybe she's she's just switching careers or whatnot, but she could do it for the I, dad. I think, I'd be down with that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
I don't want to bring, bring, bring her over. Bring her over. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, so, I, I think it's going to get risque with her and Joe. But you know, it, it's with with light packing, light packing, y'all. And but yeah, it's it's just nice to see them happy and doing well. It's it's just it's going to be nice, and I am happy to see Joe happy because he looked honestly at times miserable last season, and so right. it's just really good to see Joe look uh, good and and set, and so that's really nice to see. Uh, finally, the one that I was rooting for as hard as anything was um, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, the 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 thing about Donovan Mitchell is I don't know what it is, but he has he has a lot of people that follow him just to like hope that he doesn't do well with things. And I don't understand it. And so instead of just being like, you know, and I, by the end of the tournament, we realized like, wow, this is the best player on this team. It's not Kemba. It's Donovan. Uh, as Donovan goes, the yeah. team goes. And, you know, he's carrying the weight of that. He's carrying the weight of like being team USA and trying to win, even though most of the other guys didn't go, uh, you know, carrying the burden of a win streak and expectation. And then on top of that, you've got a lot of haters, like just people that uh, for whatever reason, whether it's the rookie of the year thing or Suns fans who are they are just, you know, need to be institutionalized at some points for the things they think and say. It's just crazy. And so I I just. I don't know. I I can't help but have a lot of respect for Donovan for for everything he did for this country just by playing for the team. At you know he didn't have he could have dropped out. It would have been the cool thing to do. He or, like that's what everyone else is. A lot of these guys are just too cool for school. Don't want to get cut or don't just don't want to play. Mm-hmm. They'd rather be at home and and try to get one on one workouts like Devin Booker and not get double teamed like. That's what they want to do with their off season is is do Instagram videos, sit at home, uh, and 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 not go to China like Donovan Mitchell and Kemba Walker and all those guys. And I have nothing but respect for all of those players that went because those guys, you know, they're the ones who stayed. There's the they're the ones. They're the dudes left. in the arena. Mm-hmm. Everyone else left. It those guys stayed, and so whether they win or lose, I. Nothing but respect for me for all those guys. Donovan Mitchell's offseason has been so phenomenal considering that last offseason he wasn't able to do anything. He had the foot injury. He didn't wasn't able to really start working out until, what, two weeks ago? It would have been two weeks ago last year. He wasn't able to really get really up and going. And think about how much he's been able to work on his game this year. His, he's been able to work exceptionally hard on his defense. And we've been able to see him take guys out of the offense in FIBA ball. He goes out there and it's crazy to see how big he is now. There were times that I confused him with Marcus Smart while he was on the court. He has improved his uh, shooting, he shot, what, almost 40% from three over FIBA. His playmaking has got a lot better. His his assist-to-turnover ratio uh, was phenomenal at FIBA. I believe it, what, was it four to one, five to one? That's big considering how much, how high his usage rate was with 
with Team USA. And what I absolutely loved with Team USA is he could have most certainly been the guy every game to just take over. And what I mean by take over is to is to say that um he he could have overpowered. He could have steamrolled all of his teammates and really just played hero ball. And he would have had every excuse to do it because he was besides Kemba Walker, the only guy on that team once Jason Tatum went down that could go out there and get their own shot. He had every reason of to be able to play that card. And he didn't. Every game he went out there, saw what they were lacking, whether it was defense, whether it was rebounding, whether it was playmaking, whether it was scoring, whether it was just penetrating and being able to collapse the defense to try to try to get it to bend. He did everything that was asked of him. And for all the people on Twitter, all the dudes who think it's funny to get their jokes off and blah, 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 and and are in this constant hate stream, what you're really missing is Popovich didn't talk any crap about Donovan Mitchell. In fact, no, no, no coach did. And and beyond that, you didn't see many national writers doing that either, because all of them heard the same things from inside Team USA that Donovan Mitchell was doing everything that was asked of him and more. And when he had a bad game, he was able to supplement it through another part of his game. It, and that was really big for Team USA because if you take away Marcus Smart's defense, what do you have? Or if you take away Kemba's if you offense, take away, what do you have? If you take, yeah, if, if Kemba's not hitting shots, what do you get from him? You get an average playmaker and a subpar defender. If Jalen Brown isn't, isn't able to fly in transition, you, are, you don't have a creator – um, a guy who can get his shot off on on offense, and you're not really getting a playmaker. So getting a spot-up shooter, but you need somebody else to do something for that. And and so you had a lot of one-dimensional guys. And with Donovan Mitchell, you had somebody who was, not to use a, a really overrated baseball term, but you had a five-tool player who can go out there and really uh, has multiple dimensions to his game. And this season, those weaknesses, and I'm not even going to say them they're weaknesses because Donovan Mitchell hasn't been atrocious on defense, uh, but his his defense has improved. He looks like a guy who, and Andy Bailey hates this term, is a two way player. Is a guy who is a weapon, and I shouldn't. It's not a two way player. It's Andy a it's a person term. who. I didn't know that. <laughs> he hates that term. He hates that term because he's like everyone plays two ways. But what I mean by that is his defense is now weaponized. It's it's a tool. It's not just he's out there really trying to hold, you know, tread water. He's out there and able to really be as much as he's a weapon on offense, he's a weapon on defense. And that's really, really big because there there were games where he had had insane blocks, he was covering his man, and he was really collapsing space. And when you look at what is uh going to be Utah's calling card going into next season it's that defense and so now you have mike conley who can close space you have donovan mitchell who can really close space and so now you're taking away other parts of of the floor and that really helps when utah brings in a a four man in either jeff green uh, bogdanovich who might not be 
the most defensively sound. And that's kind of what we want to get into in this next part is the Utah Jazz, in case you've been living under a rock, uh, traded away Derek Favors to the New Orleans Pelicans to create space so that they could sign Boyan Bogdanovich and Emmanuel Moutier and Ed Davis. And what that did was it, while the Utah Jazz were able to increase on the offensive end, they definitely are going to be feeling the um, his his absence in a in a uh, with being able to have a above average shot blocker and defender at, at the five in the paint for forty eight minutes. Ed Davis is good, but he's very one dimensional. You're not going to be able to be have a role man and a defender at the same time with Ed Davis. Um, and then with Boyan Bogdanovich, you're getting an insane offensive player, but no one is saying like, wow, I'm really excited to see what Boyan can do protecting the paint. So, so the, by, by necessity and personnel, the Utah Jazz offense is going to change. So I'm going to, let's go through a few, a few questions here first there, James. The first question is. Who do you think is going to be the starting four game one of the Utah Jazz season when they tip off against the Oklahoma City Thunder at home? Um, Who's starting at the four? You know, if I had to bet, I would say that maybe Quinn will just put the five best guys out there. And so maybe it's Boyan. And you just have Joe Ingles and Boyan, and then Ingles gets kind of a a rest and then comes in and plays with the second unit and stuff like that. So I guess if I had to feet to the fire, guess what Quinn was going to do? I would guess Boyan. But I also think that it. my second guess would be Royce. My thing is, I don't like, I don't think the Jazz play with power forwards from now on. Like, I feel like that's a position that doesn't really exist anymore in the NBA. Uh, it's a, a traditionally it's what it used to be yeah, like it used yeah. to be like, who's your point guard? Who's your shooting guard? Who's your small forward? Who's your power forward? And then who's your center? Now I think the jazz have, they need to have two ball handlers and they'll have two wings and then they have their screening center. You know, that's what I think they're going to play like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Royce O'Neal can do spots at the four. I think, Boyan will have spot minutes. Ingles can. Um, obviously, George Niang is uh, going to get um, more minutes because of of favors and Crowder being gone, and and he might play more than anyone realizes. I wrote a thing about George, George Niang yeah. might be a starter. Don't be surprised because he's had a good off season. But then you know, uh, you wrote about Dante Exum. He's like six nine now, and it looks like he's about two hundred thirty pounds. I just think that. Well, when you look at him next to guys, there's pictures of him next to guys who are listed at six eight, and Dante Exum is as tall, if not taller, than them. Yeah, and so either like everyone's lying. Well, we do know that everyone lies <laughs> about their what they're listed at, but at the same time, Dante Exum was conservatively at, measured at a six foot six when he was eighteen. Yeah, and, and we know he's since Rome. Oh, go ahead. And 10. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, yeah. There was a video of him at FIBA where he was like, the people were asking, you know, what he was weighing. And he's like, I think I was, I'm still listed at 190. And he kind of just chuckles at it. Like, it, it, it. He's he's far beyond that, and this offseason, it's yoked Exum. When, when you can't run and all you can work is upper body, he 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 looks yoked. He does. He looks, he looks really so, strong, and so he could play the four. Yeah. I just think it's going to be rotating minutes, and maybe it'll be just be based on the opponent. Maybe if we're playing like the Warriors and you're just worried about Draymond really trying to power you down, maybe you just throw in Jeff Green and, and let him absorb Draymond a little bit. Um, but if you're playing anyone else who's typically playing with a new modern offense, you can run whoever you want. And why not run Royce O'Neal, who shoots 40% from three, and have him be... Because honestly, it looks to me what the offense is, is you got two guys that handle the ball, that run the pick and roll on both sides of the floor. You've got Rudy, who is the best screening big man in the NBA, so you want him doing the screens. And then you've just got two guys on the outside that if the pick and roll doesn't work, you... you uh, pass it out and they knock down a three from the corner. I like the jazz might have, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the jazz have the number one offense in the NBA next year. They have so much talent and they've upgraded in so many ways. It's just hard not to see them just play incredible offensive sets. And it, it doesn't have to be as complicated as it was last year either. Last year you'd have Ricky Rubio and Derek favors on the floor and Quinn had to, you know, run the, uh, Pythagorean theorem out there just to get an open shot and now it's just it's simple basketball it's pick and roll with spread floor and like and you've got athletes that can beat their man and get to the rim and you've got 40% three point shooters on the wing and then you've got Rudy Gobert too who is going to have just a monster yeah. season the best rolling big man and the best just the best rolling big man in the NBA is Rudy and they're going to just they're just going to massacre teams like there's going to be nights where they play the Phoenix Suns and they are going to absolutely um, embarrass them. Like Devin Booker stands no chance at all to stop Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley next year when they come to Phoenix. Like no chance. It's going to be uh, it's going to be very very bad for them. And you know the good teams out there that used to be able to take advantage of the Jazz not having four shooters on the floor surrounding Rudy. They can't do that anymore. Like we didn't lose to Houston because no. of defense. The defense worked. It was because we couldn't make shots, and we just didn't have offensive players on the floor that could, you know, punish the defense when they cheated on Rubio or cheated on Favors. There, that's not a thing anymore. And so it's just, ugh, I cannot wait to watch it. It's going to be exciting. I have no idea who. Who do you think is going to start at the power forward? I think it's Royce. Um, I honestly. I know our commenters are like, you put your, you put, and to your, to your point, you put your five best players on the floor. But I think similar to what the Golden State Warriors did with the Hampton Five, and that was with Andre Iguodala at the four, I think you save, you save that lineup 
for it's definitely going to get time. Don't get me wrong. But what I like about Royce at the four as starting out is according to his Draymond rating, he is the third best defender on the Utah Jazz. And he can play make a little bit. Most importantly, what Utah is really missing at that four spot, I agree that they've got better on the offensive side. I I agree that um guys like Royce and Jeff Green and Boyan Bogdanovich can defend averagely uh, for uh, and and you know, with in the case of Royce above way above averagely for for their position but what they are missing though is rebounding and that's something like a high rebounding percentage that Royce really brings to the table because he has a big wingspan and he has a knack for it too there's some guys you don't even need a big wingspan to do it. Uh, for example, Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap doesn't. If you look at his 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 uh, his metrics compared to his height and wingspan, you'll do a double take. But he's always been a really good rebounder. He just has a knack for it. He knows where the ball is going to be, and so uh, Royce O'Neal has that. And we could see a. A, a surge in his rebounding because one thing that is really important for the Utah Jazz's defense that we gloss over a lot is defensive rebounding percentage. Because if Utah's giving up a lot of second chances, that's really going to hurt their offense because all of a sudden you have the offense out of position. You can swing the ball around. And now all of a sudden you're not going against the best defense in the league. You're going against the best defense in the league on their heels. So that's really where you can start to, um, to to mess with them. And those extra possessions that just wears down, wears down the Utah Jazz, wears down Rudy. Puts Rudy, Rudy might be in a position where he might get into foul trouble because he has to overcorrect or everything else. So uh, that defensive rebounding percentage, that's going to be key to replacing um, because Jay Crowder uh, did that pretty well. Derek Favors did that amazingly well. And one thing that is going to be hard is there are teams that are going to be going big against Utah. And it used to be that Utah could handily take care of that. You're going to throw Giannis at the four? Cool. We're going to throw Derek Favors at the four and and we'll be okay. And we'll have Rudy Gobert handling Brooke Lopez. Or... The Philadelphia 76ers coming up this year where they have, I don't know, four power forwards who can all handle the ball. Um, and they have Ben Simmons, Al Horford, Joel Embiid. Um, who else? Who Who is the other one that they have? I, I swear they just have five guys who are all just six foot nine or ten. Well, they're just. They're just huge. Yeah, they're ben just Simmons, huge. And, and same thing goes um, for yeah. LA Lakers. The LA Lakers are big. Um, and then that's not even getting to kind of odd teams where you have the LA Clippers, where you have a Kawhi and a Paul George mixed, mixed, um, in with Mon, uh, Montrezl Harrell. Uh, and, um, and so there are teams that Utah used to be able to be like, if you're going big, we'll go big. If you're going small, we'll go small. They don't really have that luxury unless they want to play Jeff Green a lot of minutes. And, 
Jeff Green gets a bad rap for being a below average player. He's just been a player that's put in the wrong position and the and uh, and the wrong time in the game and the wrong role. But you don't want Jeff Green playing twenty five plus minutes at age thirty two. Yeah, that's they got a, Jeff Green for depth. Yeah, he's he's depth, uh, veteran presence, and. He's going to be able to go out there. He's basically what Utah will will throw out there when teams will go big and try to try to get a, a disadvantage because he's also not a big floor spacer. He only shot what thirty two percent career from three, so it's not like he's going to go off from three. He's he can be a threat um, as much as Jay Crowder was, but um, he's there to to counterbalance. So. I think you you hit the nail on the head. We a lot of the times now in the modern NBA, you are who you guard. You you are not who you are on the offensive end. So your role on the offensive end is completely different than what your role is on the defensive end. For example, Draymond Green, he's he's a point guard for all intents and purposes. He's a point guard on the offensive end. He's a playmaker. That's what he does. On the defensive end, yes, he guards the four, and he guards it amazingly. And he's this insane, insane switcher um, on the on the defensive end. That's what Utah wants to do. They want to be constantly switching because before they've had to go man, man-to-man and constantly covering their guys. And what that does is, if you saw with Ricky Rubio, it exposes your, your worst playmakers to uh, – not worst playmakers, your worst defenders – to uh, getting eaten alive by screens or getting lost on defense. And Ricky Rubio, I think, would have done better in, in a defense that where you can be constantly switching, but he's also not the type of guy that you want to be constantly switching because teams are going to be wanting to switch him onto them um, and expose him. So uh, Utah now has a defense where they can, they can feel comfortable constantly switching. Whether they have Dante Exum out there, whether they have Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, um, Jeff Green, they can Emmanuel Mudiay, they can constantly be switching out there. And so Dante Exum, I wrote I wrote the post, and if you're on, uh, uh, if if you've read it, you're probably thinking this is a peak off season post, which I will not disagree with you. Um, at this point, we're really really looking for random things that could possibly happen. But at the same time, it's something that could very well happen because Donovan Mitchell is bigger. He's bigger in weight. He's taller. He, he has his wingspan probably is uh, probably bigger too. And so because of that, when when they need to switch or if they're in a pinch, he's going to play some power forward. Not because he's a power forward, but because the Utah Jazz are going to be running an offense that is – unlike anything that's ever been run in Utah since, I don't know, maybe the Andre Karolinko days with the Raul Lopez team in 2003, 2004. This is probably the most wide open you're ever going to see that. And the reason Dante Exum will get time there is he can shoot a respectable uh, 30% from three. His assist percentage is insane, so you can get great playmaking, so you can take a four-man off the dribble and really expose them due to Dante Exum's speed. And 
oh, by the way, he can guard that position really well. And so when you switch, he he's going to end up being switched on power forwards quite often. If he gets switched on Draymond Green, it's not the worst thing in the world. He has the strength now. And that feels weird saying, but when you think about how big he was when he entered the league, he just was as wobbly as a baby giraffe. That's why we've always thought of him as a guard. And you want him to still be a guard because he can get great mismatches from that. But at the power forward position, he can still get great mismatches off of that as well because of his speed and agility. So there's some there's some fun things with Dante Exum. But if you're going to like like put a gun to my head and be like, hey, you know, what is the depth chart going to be? I was going to I will say one is going to be Royce O'Neal. And then they'll throw Joe Ingles out there and Boyan Bogdanovich will slide to the four. And then when Boyan Bogdanovich goes out, you're going to get have some time with Jeff Green. And then they'll rotate Royce O'Neal back in. And then Dante Exum is going to play, play the three and the two and the one. I think the weirdest position, the weirdest uh, rotations are going to be Dante Exum. I think in any given game, he could play all four spots and not blink an eye. And, and, and because it, Utah's offense is just going to be weird. Their rotations are going to be weird just because they don't have a true four. And it's going to be really interesting. They have a modern offense, so that's going to be really fun to watch. And I, I, I think the guy that you don't want to spend a lot of time at the four is Joe Ingles. Because I, I, Joe Ingles doesn't have the strength to play that position. Um, because it's not like you see Joe Ingles like – we're not getting Instagram like rocking out those heavy lifts with Joe Ingles ever. Joe Ingles is a crafty player. He's not necessarily a strong, strong, beefy player. And so his strength is not necessarily made for the four. He can do it in a pinch. And I think we'll see sometimes where they will throw him out there because guys got in foul trouble. But I think for Joe Ingles' long-term health throughout the season, they're really going to use that. And I saw a lot of comments where people were like, you can't play Dante Exum on the four. He can barely stay healthy at the one or the two. Which to say, like, he's he's got hurt by by twisting an ankle weird on the perimeter. So if anything, you want him off the perimeter, A. Eh? <laughs> Sorry, let's use some use some logic here. If you're gonna say he's full of glass, at least mention what his injuries were from. Uh, the other thing too is Dante Exum is not necessarily the biggest part, um, a biggest key for Utah's success to this season. So anything that can keep your key guys like Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich, healthy throughout the season, you're going to do it. And mm-hmm. I think Emmanuel Moutier is going to surprise people in camp. And I think we're going to inevitably, I know for all the Exum Islanders out there, you're not going to like what I have to say, but I think we're inevitably going to have a big time, big time competition for the backup point guard position between Emmanuel Moutier and Dante Exum. And it's going to be a tough one. And it's going to be because Emmanuel Moutier came to play. I think he's, I, I think a low key story for, for the season is Emmanuel Moutier um, coming in because he decided to come to Utah as a sacrifice so he could develop. Like he's in the right mindset for a glow up this season because of what he's sacrificing, what he's wanting to achieve this season by coming to Utah. So that's it. That's well, I hope it's not because he couldn't. I hope it's not because the Knicks didn't want him and he's just looking for somewhere that he thinks he can develop. 
I don't know. Watching yeah. Emmanuel Moutier, uh, if we get anything about Adam Moutier, that's amazing. But uh, mm. I just wanted to touch on something you mentioned earlier. Uh, like, really what the, the four position is going to be is the Jazz are just going to play players on the floor that can switch. So guys that like Donovan and Conley are going to switch with the guards, and then you're going to just have, uh, you know, Royce O'Neal can switch and guard like four positions now. Uh, like I can see Royce even guarding Draymond. Like Draymond to me is the guy I think. Can you guard Draymond? That makes then you can be a four. And, and I think a lot of guys on the Jazz can guard Draymond. But also, not only can you guard Draymond, but can you switch back? I mean, I, I mean, you mentioned the offense the Jazz are going to run. It's really going to be yeah. the Jazz are going to be very similar to Houston and what they do. It's going to be like Capella with with Harden and shooters. It's the same thing with Utah. It's going to be Conley or Mitchell with. Gobert and then shooters and then on defense just like Houston does you're just going to switch everything and so if you're a guy that can switch uh, and and uh, then you're going to get a lot of minutes and you might see yourself switching on the four that's why I think honestly the way I kind of look at it with the four position is just the Jazz are going to have players that kind of switch between guarding it so whether it's Joe and Bojan just switching on whoever they're defending and if they get switched onto the four off of the guard then that's just what's going to happen i actually don't honestly feel like it's going to be that big of a deal i think the jazz are just excited to get shooting on the floor and the other the other thing that's going to help them out and that we might see really like affect the the defensive end more than we even think is just the fact that we have guys that will make shots uh, having 40% three-point shooting at the four spot instead of 30% from Jay Crowder and having 36% three-point shooting from Conley instead of 30% from Rubio. Like, there's just going to be less transition op- opportunities for defenses. There's going to be more guys on the perimeter that can get back and stop transit. Like, the Jazz might be just better defensively. Just be- And that's what Jerry Sloan used to say. The best defense was putting the ball in the hoop because then you can just get mm-hmm. back, get your defense set, and and guard. And so the jazz are going to be doing that so much more. Their offense is going to be so much more effective. Uh, and we might even see offense that we didn't even see last year because we've had, you know, a plotting dark Derek favors who, you know, played 25 minutes a night last year and he doesn't want to run a lot because he doesn't want to get hurt. Cause he does have, you know, some chronic issues with, you know, uh, back and knee and things like that. Tendinitis, stuff like that. And so, we'll have guys on the floor that like to run. Boyan will run the floor and run and play well in transition and Royce O'Neal and, and, uh, and George Niang and all these guys that can play that power forward spot can now run and play power forward and get more transition buckets. We just don't get enough transition as well on this team. And that's something we'll see Mm -hmm. next year. It's going to be nice. It's going to be really, really nice. I died a little inside every time I watched Jay Crowder run a, run a fast break because it always ended bad. <laughs> I literally always felt like it went bad. And so now, having- now they have some legit ball handlers out there. Like you're going to have Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan Bogdanovich, Dante Exum, uh, Royce O'Neal. Like you have really good ball handlers and uh, much better playmakers out there running that, that fast break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. They're going to they're going to score with such ease. Like we've never 
uh, seen in the last three years. I mean, everything was a struggle. I mean, just the fact that we brought on Kyle Korver, who we basically threw into the trade with Conley, and his effect on this team, just his shooting and spacing was incredible. And so now we just have a team of shooters that when you pass them the ball, you have faith they can just knock it down. And we just, I'm not used to it. Like, I'm so used to seeing 30% three-point shooting from my point guard and my power forward, you know? It's going to be weird to Mm -hmm. have like 40% and upper 30s from both. It's going to be nuts. Donovan's going to have spot-up three-point shooting opportunities. He never gets that. Last year, he had to do so much ball handling and pull-up threes, and it's not his strength. He's going to have legit options to pass out for spot-up three opportunities instead of just looking for Joe Ingles and then settling for uh, Jay Crowder. He's He's left open for a reason, or Ricky Rubio. Now it's Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Boyan Bogdanovich. That's uh, that's awesome. I do want to I do want to go back to something you were saying about it's similar to the Houston Rockets. Um, when people are like, uh, and I know even some people are weirded out by Royce O'Neal playing the four, which I don't get. He and did it multiple times last year, he did, he did it multiple times. The way the four position is going in the NBA is just flat out weird. And I don't think any of us could have – I think if you would have told us about 15 years ago that the average height of the the a power forward position, say when the Utah Jazz were playing the LA Lakers in the playoffs, and the idea was you have to get big because they had both Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. And you had, you had the, the Twin Towers or Tim Duncan and David Robinson, the Twin Towers. So the idea was if you if you had big guys and two really good big men, you would just dominate. And I think if you would have told any Jazz fan then that the best power forwards in the NBA and the most coveted would be six foot six <laughs> stout dudes, mm-hmm. I think that would have changed, it would have blown everybody away. And then if you would have said, and these guys were shooting guards before, it would have blown their mind. Like P.J. Tucker shooting guard Draymond Green he was a tweener small forward slash power forward in in college and got like tweeners that used to be a thing in the NBA draft if you were a tweener it was just it was the kiss of death you just weren't you weren't going to end up in the NBA and now now you like PJ Tucker for example when he went into the NBA um his first year back after cuz he played for Toronto for like 17 games and then he went to Europe for uh for five years and he came back his first year back he was a shooting guard for the phoenix suns cut to six years later and five years later and he's a power forward for the houston rockets and sometimes plays center you know and sometimes plays center so i think the idea that where it's like royce o'neill and dante Exum, they'll never play this position things change and, and get really weird especially for guys who who have seen their basketball mortality and finally just decide, look, I am going to do whatever the hell I can to stay on that court and get minutes. I will accept anything. I will do anything. And at that point, you see these transformations of what they become. And Joe Ingles is one of those guys who he went to the NBA, he tried to make it to the NBA, didn't, and just kept on working. And then you saw in the NBA of what he became um, and what he was able to do. Uh, and 
just by accepting the coaching and everything. So I think looking at the power forward position for the Utah Jazz, I don't think anybody would have imagined Royce O'Neal becoming uh, the the next starting power forward after Derek Favors left when Royce O'Neal joined the team a couple years back. But he looks like he's he's kind of the guy who can be that with a 40% three-point uh, shooting with high rebounding percentage that he's strong. Um, Dante Exum, you would we kept on saying, well, he's going to be the backup point guard, but he kept growing and he's getting more yoked. And all of a sudden it's just, is that strength better served in a different position or, or is there a better way to use him? So, and I'm not, and, and looking at the post, it is peak off season, but at the same time, you're looking at him like a Swiss army knife. He can play multiple positions. It's almost like a waste. If you just keep him at one position, you can, he's such a, he, he can become a chameleon on the court. So, so I, I think the fun thing f- uh, upcoming for the Utah jazz, it's definitely a big question mark uh, at the power forward position for the other 25 minutes. We know that Boyan Bogdanovich, when closing games in important minutes, he's going to be at that four position along with Joe Ingles, along with Mike Conley, among, uh, along with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. But for the rest of that time, how the Utah Jazz depth chart is going to sort itself out in training camp, that's going to be a big a big question mark alongside with who's going to be the backup point guard and, um, and how Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are really going to um, learn to play together and, and gain that chemistry. So that's going to, that's what's going to be interesting. And we're, we're going to have tons of questions going into training camp and what the biggest, what the things to watch out for and everything uh, on the site, but it's definitely something to look out for, for the power forward position. Do you have anything else for tonight, James? Nope. I think that's, I think that's good. I'm excited. We got to get basketball back. Yeah. Basketball back, almost time. FIBA's over. No more waking up at 5 a.m. Real basketball, it's time. Oh, yes. So, as always, follow us at SLC Dunk on Facebook, on the Twitter, on Instagram. And subscribe. Pound that subscribe button to SLC Punk's podcast, the Utah Jazz podcast. And uh, leave a review. And y'all have a good one. Basketball's coming back. Peace, y'all. Bye.